One of the things I love about children is their ability to surprise us with the truth. Sometimes this takes the form of saying what we're really all thinking, but don't dare say out loud, because to do so would be impolite. Sometimes they surprise us by their freedom to see and report the truth when we're blinded to it, to it by our complacency and routine. While a seminarian in Austin, I spent two years interning at a local church, and I often served the chalice on Sunday mornings. I'll never forget Joey, who was three or four years old at the time. Joey went through a phase of truth-telling that lasted several months. Joey would come to the altar on Sundays with his parents, with his sister and his brother, and they would kneel to take communion. Joey would receive the bread, and then the cup would be offered to him with the words, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. And then Joey would exclaim loudly with a mixture of horror and defiance, It's wine! It's wine! It's not blood, it's wine! (laughs) This went on for a few weeks, and so I decided I would try to head it off at the pass. I thought that maybe if I called it wine before he did, he would let the whole thing go quietly. But no such luck. I bent down to offer him the wine, saying, The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, and it's wine. (laughs) But Joey would have none of this quiet acknowledgement. He still responded with, It's wine! It's wine! It's not blood! It's wine! Now, Joey is now a teenager and probably taller than I am. I suspect he's taking communion without causing any uproar. In fact, his prophetic voice had already been socialized and silenced before I left Austin. And to be honest, when he became quiet, I missed his unashamed truth-telling almost immediately. Sure, Joey may have been too young to understand the intricacies of Eucharistic theology, to talk about the real presence of Christ in the bread and wine, or to comprehend the difference between a theology of transubstantiation, consubstantiation, or instrumentalism. But he did grasp that the words we say at the altar are anything but peaceful, calming, and safe. The rest of us around the table had just become so used to them that we couldn't hear them as the terrible, beautiful, and shocking words that they are. Really. Eating someone's flesh and drinking someone's blood? But listen to our Eucharistic prayer with new or young ears, and there they are. Jesus' words from another gospel as he takes the bread, breaks it, and gives it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. And then Jesus takes the cup and says, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. It is an explicit, carnal meal that we celebrate every Sunday. And it is this way for a reason. We celebrate what is called the Messianic Banquet, A vision of the whole world gathered around the table, sharing a meal where there is plenty, where love overflows, and where all are welcome. It's a vision of what the world looks like when Christ is all in all. But at the same time, we are not triumphalistic or delusional in our vision, and we do not leave behind this world of flesh and blood. 
Too often we equate the vision we celebrate at the altar with just some future time, just like we often equate eternal life with life after death. Now, I do believe that we will be alive in God's presence after we die, although I can't begin to know exactly what that might look like. But if life after death is the only thing we think feasting on the body and blood of Christ gains us, then we've missed the whole point of Jesus giving his flesh and blood. Because Jesus gave his flesh and blood for the life of the world, this world. And so we don't leave this world behind when we celebrate Eucharist. Embedded within the images in our Eucharistic prayer, we find both death and life, the reality of brokenness and the hope for wholeness, ordinary time and eternal life, the world as we know it full of violence and suffering, and the kingdom of heaven. The gap between these two realities is not that one happens now and another happens later. After all, we experience both violence and profound love in this lifetime. The gap between death and eternal life is a matter of how fully we live into the presence and love of God even now. That's why coming to the Eucharist, that's why celebrating communion, is no escape from reality. In fact, if anything, it drives us ever more deeply into the world around us. Because the more vividly we see the glory of the kingdom of heaven, the more vividly we also see the suffering in the world around us. Once we've experienced the kingdom of heaven, we can never settle for the status quo. We can never think that hunger is inevitable, or that violence is necessary, or that unlimited gain at the expense of others is a God-given right. We see the world in all its broken reality, and we also see what it is and can be in Christ. Alexander Schmemann was part of the Orthodox Church, and he wrote many books about the theology of liturgy, including these words. The Church is not a society for escape from this world, in order to taste the mystical bliss of eternity. Communion is not a mystical experience. We drink of the chalice of Christ, and he gave himself for the life of the world. The bread on the paten and the wine in the chalice are to remind us of the incarnation of the Son of God, of the cross and death. And thus it is the very joy of the kingdom that makes us remember the world and pray for it. It is the very communion with the Holy Spirit that enables us to love the world with the love of Christ. Intercession begins here, in the glory of the Messianic banquet. It is when we seem to have put aside all earthly care and we seem to have left this world that we in fact recover it in all its reality. If we come to the Eucharist just for safe harbor, to escape from the world outside these doors, then we've missed the whole point. Instead, we come to the altar rail to receive the body and blood of Christ, to know his presence within us, and to become ourselves the body of Christ. And the Bible is clear about what it means to be the body of Christ. To be the body of Christ is to be broken and given for the life of the world, for the life of this world. This is the church's mission. This is what we're sent out to do, to become the bread of life for the world in which we live. 
Today we get to baptize Amy Rice. Amy has glimpsed the kingdom of heaven in her life and in this place, and she comes desiring to be baptized. In so doing, she commits herself to proclaim the good news of God in Christ, to seek and serve Christ and the people she meets, to strive for justice and peace, and to respect the dignity of every human being. These are flesh and blood promises. Amy will spend the rest of her life living into these promises. And Amy, we can't wait to see the many ways the kingdom of heaven will be made manifest in you and through you and the world around you. May God grant to Amy and to all of us grace to experience eternal life in the midst of ordinary time, hope to believe that wholeness is possible in even the most broken of places, and love to become the bread of life for a world that is starving. Amen.